and Christmas sweaters happening. Um, well, this is our last day of Advent. This is our fourth, fourth week, and uh, which Advent just means coming. And so we're anticipating and this celebration, uh, particularly next Sunday, Christmas Day with our families. We're going to be celebrating the, the first coming, his, his uh, birth and his life. And, and as Pastor Ed was talking about last week, there's this anticipation in our heart, that uh, this longing that we have for him to come again and how that is so important in our, in our formation of our faith as Christians that we keep this anticipation of that, that he once again is coming again. And so we're, we're adventing about all that. We're celebrating about all of that and, and looking at that. And today we want to, um, to look at really what is, was in the heart of God for why this was important in the first place. Why Jesus in the first place? What was the point of this? Why was it so necessary um, in our life? Now, if you were in Tulsa a few years ago, you remember the ice storm. Anybody, anybody remember the, the, the ice storm? Had this little little ice storm in Tulsa that kind of pretty much shut down the place. Um, we all have ice storm stories. Don't you have an ice storm story? Um, we do at our house. Um, we lost five 30-year-old trees in one night. Um, we uh, were out of electricity for seven days at our house. I know some of you can beat that. You know, everybody's got to, you know, trying to have the record of that and it was the coldest that I remember feeling because we stayed in our house during that week. And, and fortunately, the kids' schools and our work both had heat. But uh, in the morning, we would jump out of bed as fast as we possibly could and, and go jump in the, in the shower because we did have a gas um, a hot water tank. And so we had hot water. And, and then we'd throw our clothes on and run out the house as fast as we could. And then we stayed away as long as we possibly could and came home. And we went and bought everybody these little lights that we could put on a book that we could hide under the covers. And we put all these covers on the bed, and we kind of pulled them up over our head, and we read until we fell asleep and until we got enough warmth there, you know. A crazy, crazy week. But it made me realize, yes. Next time, we will have a hotel. I'm just saying. <laughs> we did learn something from the ice cream. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do very well on that. Um, <laughs> I learned my lesson there. We'll be in a hotel next time. Uh, I didn't start fast enough. I said, it'll be okay, honey. And yeah, it wasn't okay. Um, anyway, the, uh, so I, but I realized how dependent we are on electricity. It was unbelievable. Every, I, I knew the electricity was out. In every room I walked in, I went like this. I flipped the switch, okay, just out of habit. But nothing worked. The, you know, the fans weren't worth it. Nothing worked. And, uh, um, TVs, and, and it just made me realize how incredibly dependent we are on electricity. And just a half inch of ice made me realize how dependent we are as creatures, period. We are dependent creatures. It made me realize that we're about this big. We're real little <laughs> in, in our power. And God is real big and how, how powerful he was. Because we don't usually think about being dependent, we're very dependent creatures, but I don't think that much about being dependent. I, I think in our modern culture, we have designed this thinking where we think, I can pretty much be in charge of my stuff. You know, I can handle this, and I can control this. And again, just a, an inch of ice uh, made me realize that that wasn't the case. And so some of you are sitting there going, what does this have to do with Advent? Um, there's something about this dependency and why this this idea of of a rescue um, started many, many years ago. We really have to go back to the Garden of Eden to really understand this. Here we have man living in paradise and 
perfect union with God, walking in the cool of the day, talking with God, would that not be cool? Had all of his needs met, had a purpose in his life, and had everything that he wanted. Yet what he struggled with was, I'm dependent. I can't do this myself. I have to look to something outside of myself. And and that was what began to to turn things around. It didn't he wanted to be more in charge of his stuff, man and woman. We want to be in charge of our stuff. And so, if you if anybody um, talks to you about uh, that you like to be in control of stuff, just know you got this honestly, okay? Uh, we got this in our genes from the very beginning. There's something about us that likes to be in control. Well, this this didn't work out real well, did it? This 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 idea, this thinking that I want to be in charge. By the third chapter of Genesis, we've got this rebellion on our hand, and and man and woman are in absolute rebellion. By chapter four, we've got our, the first murder. By chapter six, we pretty much have wickedness and mayhem going on in the world. And then chapter eleven. Do you remember the Tower of Babel story? Wasn't that a cool story? Um, humans coming together and saying, "Let's build ourselves a city." with a tower that reaches to the heavens and make a name for ourselves. <laughs> Can't you kind of just envision God going, so you built a tower, did you? What will you think of next? This, there's something about us humans that we just, we're insecure, we're trying to build ourselves up in our own minds to find some sense of significance in ourselves and and because we like to do it our way, don't we? We like to be in charge of stuff. So we see really early in the scripture, men and women left on their own tend to mess things up. They run them up. They destroy their lives and they destroy the lives of people around them. And so we could say in the very beginning, this is when the Christmas story began. Because at the first rebellion, God had a plan to restore and to redeem his people. It was always in his heart to bring them back to him and to bring them back into a good, healthy, and whole life. We begin to get a glimpse of it in Genesis 12. It's the story of Abram, who later becomes Abraham. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth be blessed through you. God made a covenant with Abraham because he wanted to bless him, but he also wanted to use Abraham and his people to bless the world, to bring beauty, to bring rightness into the world. Now, fortunately, God did this as a covenant and not a contract. Contract implies that there's an equality beyond, uh, between partners. And if it had been a contract, people would have messed it up on the first day. So it's good that God made a covenant with his people and that God remains rock solid in his commitment to his people, his love for us, his care for us. He is always committed to us, and his heart is always to bless us. As we read through the Old Testament, we see the people that God sent in the world, his people, to bring restoration to the world, tended to mess up from time to time. And that God had to rescue some of the very people that he sent to rescue some of his people. God has been patient and faithful with his people. 
The amazing thing is he didn't give up on us, isn't it? That he continued to pursue us and continues today. Uh, we see over the course of the Old Testament, and we see this common theme. We see man falling away, coming back again and getting restored. Man going into slavery, then exodus from slavery. Man going into exile, then coming back out of exile. And we see that over and over and over again. Again, it, it began with Abraham. Um, but we see this in, you know, through several other characters. Um, Going to be limited in time to gonna hit some highlights today. But remember Jacob. Jacob didn't trust that, that his own life was going to be fulfilled in, in the path that was set forth for his future. So he um, tried to get his, his, his own way and cheats his brother Esau out of his inheritance. And, and so Jacob goes away, goes basically into exile. He goes away for a while. Now, he did come back, and there was a reconnection with his brother. He eventually wrestled with, uh, with God in that process. Again, we see exile and restoration. We see one of his sons, Joseph. Joseph was actually sold into exile. Many times exile happens from our own rebellion and own disobedience. But sometimes we're exiled or we're disconnected from God because of something that happens to us. Some of you have been lied to. Some of you were abused. Some of you had really bad, bad parenting. Some of you had very poor role models. Some of you were given by well-meaning people a perspective on the nature of God that was twisted that was totally off kilter and so sometimes our exile is because of stuff that happens to us but joseph we could say that he was one of the abused of the abused uh, because he trusted god because he continued to submit his life to god he was brought out of that slavery place of slavery he was brought into a, a reigning ruling place in the kingdom and we see, if you study that story, we see the whole, um, that whole, his brothers all came back and that, that, that whole world at that time began to flourish. Now, interestingly enough, within a generation, they're back into slavery again. So that common theme is throughout the Old Testament. And just when slavery got unbearable, just when the people were crying out and they became desperate, God stepped in and he brought a rescuer. He brought Moses. Remember, he said, I promise to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a wonderful story of our faith that shows us the faithfulness of God that remembers his promises and says, I will deliver you, my people. And we know the story of the children of Israel, or of Israel as they were wandering through the desert. They had some of their own issues with choosing to go their own way and choosing to not follow God. But eventually they ended up in the promised land. And then after a while, the tribes that were surrounding them in the promised land began to take over again. And the children of Israel were struggling once again. And they cried out for a king, said, we need a king. And we could talk about all the kings. We could talk about David, David being in exile, out of exile, restored. We see it over and over again, the story of exile and restoration. Later on, David's king is divided. Babylon takes God's people into captivity again. And then, eventually, the children of Israel are sent home to restore Jerusalem. It continues. Exile, restoration. God always had a plan for his people. Even when they were dominated by Persia, Egypt, Greece, Syria, 
And finally, Rome. God has a plan for his people. But through all of this, they didn't experience ultimate freedom. They didn't experience true freedom in the midst of it all. So full restoration was never able to happen through the leadership of man. So we begin to see these, these voices, these prophetic voices that begin to speak about something to come. And one of those is in Daniel because there was this, this longing in the heart of man for this sense of homecoming. And so Daniel seven thirteen says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Isaiah, who never forgot God's promise to Abraham, wrote 700 years before the, the birth of Christ. He prophesied, and we're familiar with this scripture in Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cr a, a crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So the Christmas story begins to unfold clearer and clearer here. Israel, who was unable on their own to carry out the task of being the lifeboat to rescue mankind, um, we see what's called the, the perfect Israelite step in. We see Jesus come to the forefront and certainly come as a baby that we celebrate every, every Christmas, came as a servant, um, and he did what Israel couldn't do. He began to bring heaven and earth together. Um, and so we hear and think about uh, the culmination here of this story. It's no wonder that we're really fascinated with rescue. I like rescue stories. I don't know about you, but I like adventure, action-adventure movies. Um, and most all of them are around a setting where somebody is, is being, you know, taken into exile or held captive or something evil is happening to them. And, and uh, they're facing insurmountable odds. But somebody steps in and rescues them. I think there's something in all of us. There's, there's this desire, this need that we have. Uh, to, to be rescued. Uh, this rescue operation culminates then as we begin to read the New Testament, Luke one thirty. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. We go on to verse 67. It says, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemy and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. N.T. Wright, um, if you may know him, a theologian, kind of consider him a modern-day C.S. Lewis in my thinking. Uh, He summarizes this, I think, in a really powerful way. He says, Christianity is all about the belief that the living God, in fulfillment of his promises and as the climax of the story of Israel, has accomplished all this, the finding, the saving, the giving of new life in Jesus. He has done it. With Jesus, God's rescue operation has been put into effect once and for all. A great door has swung open in the cosmos, which can never again be shut. It's the door to the prison where we've been kept chained up. We're offered freedom, freedom to experience God's rescue for ourselves and to go through the door, the open door, and explore the new world to which we now have access. In particular, we're all invited summoned actually to discover through following Jesus that this new world is indeed a place of justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty, and that we are not only to enjoy it as such, but to work at bringing it to birth on earth as in heaven. That's why I like to say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. It reminds me of what's, what God is wanting to happen here as it is in heaven. And listening to Jesus, we discover whose voice it is that is echoed around the hearts and minds of the human race all along. So we have a Savior who's here to rescue us, and he also wants to be in us so that we can participate in stepping out and and rescuing the world. And yet knowing all that, knowing the history of God with his people and how he redeems and he restores, and knowing what Christmas is about, that Jesus came to earth for us, we're still not too different than those children of Israel, are we? We still have that tendency to kind of go our own way. We can easily take the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus for granted. And we can easily turn to some of our own ways. So at Christmas, we want to encourage you to think about, have I fallen away? Have I gone in exile in some area of my life? Is there some little area that I've just not allowed God to really be a part of or to really transform? You know, sometimes we can have things like we get get disillusioned by God's people. You know, we've been hurt by someone or we've been hurt by the church. And so we just go, you know what? I'm just going to pull away from that particular thing. Or maybe we kind of live on the fringe. I'm going to be involved and kind of go through the motions, but I'm really not going to be close to God. I'm really not going to have that connection with God. Or maybe we've just gotten to the point where we go, you know, I'm just really about living my life. I just want to think about what I'm doing and where I want to go from here and what's going on. 
all of us have things, little things, maybe big things, that we need to be rescued from, that we need to go, okay, I turn this over to my rescuer, to my savior. Or you need to be rescued from thinking you don't need to be rescued. We all need to be rescued from something. We're all caught up in our own minds somewhere and are bent, a little confused. Uh, the reality is we, we're all trying to do it our way in some way. Some of you, as we come through Christmas and go into the new year, you, what hits you is you're just a little sad that things aren't quite at the place you'd like them to be in your life. You thought by now in your life you'd be at a certain place and it just didn't work out that way. And you need a rescue. You need something to come in and, and pull you back um, and give you hope. And maybe there's a relationship that you just don't, you don't see a way that it could possibly be rescued, that it could possibly work out. And so you've lost, you've lost hope in that. Um, or you just find yourself just flat wanting your own way. You just are, are, are bent on going your own direction in something. Or some may have found themselves literally in bondage literally in slavery to something or someone. And we are just suggesting there's a rescuer here today, that, there's, that, that it's God's desire to, to bring us back um, out of exile. Yet are we willing to do it his way? We've, we have to let go of that. We have to let go of wanting to run our own life and do it our way and thinking that, well, I know I can, I, can, I can break out of this myself, I, or whatever, whatever it is. Are we willing to do it his way um, and let go and, and trust in, in his plan today? We talked a couple weeks ago about, am I open to be molded by God? Am I open to be used by God? Remember we talked about the clay and how God wants to mold us and use us, but we want to stay the way we always were so we still fit in the box and we still look like everyone else. Am I open to be used by God, even if it's not in the way that I had in mind? It's so easy for us to go, Lord, this is my plan for my life. Now bless it. Instead of really looking to him and saying, how do you want to use me? We're part of a bigger story. God wants us to have joy in our lives and to have fulfilling lives. And he also knows that the best way to do that is when we fit into the bigger story of what he's doing in the world, what he wants to do through you. And one of the wonderful things about God is he's always pursuing us. He always pursues his people. He's there. If we're ready to turn to him, he's there because he lovingly pursues us, but he never forces himself upon us. When we think about it, when we think about how he has rescued us from the big things, from sin, from so many of the horrific things of life, and from the little things ourselves, which sometimes isn't so little. When you think about how he has rescued us, really Christmas is the greatest story that was ever told. It is the good news. It's the great news because of what he's done for us. Scripture that keeps going over and over this year for me for some reason in the Advent season is Luke 2.10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. God has good news that will bring great joy in all of our lives as we turn to him and his ways for our life.
really is a time of celebration if we recognize what he wants to do, that it's in his heart to bless us. Uh, one of the songs that, that uh, we sang earlier today, uh, Joy to the World, uh, says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. I have found that as we get older sometimes in life, we're not really as good at receiving gifts. I don't know about you, but um, we tend to think, I don't really need anything. And so there's not really that anticipation. And, you know, it's nice, but we just don't have, we've lost a little bit of the wonder of it. Or we've received gifts over the years, and, you know, each gift we realize it's nice, but it doesn't really fully, you know, saturate my soul and so i'm kind of thinking well what would be the next thing <laughs> you know the sweater's nice but it's just you know um uh, but it didn't saturate my soul um but what's <laughs> what's what's okay uh, what's the next what's the next thing and so um but there's there's a there's a population in the world that is really good at receiving gifts our children particularly if you hit the sweet spot if there's the right age now, as kids get a little bit old, they get a little cynical like we do, and, you know, they, they really appreciate the jeans, but you can really see it in their eyes. It's like, well, I hope you got the sweater to go with these jeans, um, you know, and so, you know, they've just kind of lost a little bit of that, or if they're too young, you know, if they're one or so, they just, they just chew on the paper the whole times, you know, or they play with the box. Have you ever given your children, you know, and they like the box better than the gift. You keep trying to show them the gift and look, look what I got you. And they like the box. They want to crawl in the box or whatever, you know, but I think the sweet spots about four or five, four or five years old. There's something about a four or five year old when they get a gift, particularly if it's something that's unexpected, they just go crazy. You know, they jump up and down, they squeal, they, they, it's just this unadulterated joy that comes on their face. There's something about that age. I believe that one of the reasons is because they know that they are totally dependent on another, another person to give them this gift. They cannot generate this themselves, but they're old enough to know how special gifts are. And there's a wonder about them. In that moment when they receive that, it's uh, studies say that a four-year-old laughs about every four minutes. And so a four-year-old will laugh about 400 times a day. Have we not lost that? That wonder of life, wonder of this good news, wonder of this rescue plan. Um, one of my favorite authors, Brandon Manning, says, uh, heaven is full of five-year-olds. Uh, there's something about that five-year-old spirit, that wide-eyed value and appreciation for what has been given us. So what we're encouraging you to do, Christmas, is as you step into this big event now next week, as we've been anticipating it for a month, just bring your life to him in a different way. Maybe there's something that you've just been holding on to that we just need to make a decision to let go. Um, let's get in a position where we can really receive this where we can really appreciate what we've been rescued from and the need that we still um, need to be rescued from something. I believe that if we put ourselves in that position and recognize that this has been in his heart since the beginning of time, every time we pull away, it's in his heart to pull us back. And he has the power and the strength and the desire to do it. Um, and so... Maybe we can push back a little bit of our cynicism, our little bit, you know, of that that we, uh, as we get older, we get into um, during this season so that we can really receive 
we can really rejoice this Christmas. Why don't you stand to your feet? Father, we uh, acknowledged today.